Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Literal Sense of the Word. I am Catherine Turnus, your brand spanking new host, to use a term from the um, icons at VH1 MTV Productions. Uh, this is the first episode, so I'd love to say that I have a structure plan for this, but there's something, but we may kind of wild, wild west this. Um, today, my very first guest is none other than my very, very dear friend, and I think I can say colleague. I think we're in similar enough industries <laughs> that I can call you colleague. Um, Lily Stairs, is it correct for me to describe you as CEO and founder of Patient Authentic LLC? Because that's what I wrote in my notes. Wow, thank you for that intro. First of all, I'm a little offended that I wasn't under the best friend category, just very, very dear friend. So unfortunately, we're off to a rough start. <laughs> oh, no. Maybe one more glass of wine and then take, take three. Is be Get on my level. Get on my level. Um, yeah, so CEO and founder, principal and founder, it's unclear at this point. Okay. But I yeah, did, I is, did Google correct. your name and went to your website and was unclear which <laughs> and, was, and was unclear. So that's the title that I gave you in your Google Doc Thank description. Thank you. Thank but you. You whatever one you want. Well, use. I haven't officially launched yet, so we're sort of oh, in a. Should we soft then? Should I do that intro and not say that? <laughs> I can. Depends on when this airs. It's fine. It's fine. Let's we're just leave it for it. now. It's, it's like a message surprise. to the future. Surprise. Hopefully, this is yeah. you know post-COVID future, not far, far away from us. <laughs> Lily is the very <laughs> successful CEO and founder of Future Conglomerate. <laughs> now we're just, we're uh, just uh, manifesting the future that we want to see. Um, so Lily, um, we are, uh, I do think it's important to acknowledge, as I just mentioned, the context of this evening's recording, which is day, actually, one officially one week post-pandemic declaration from WHO on our good friend the coronavirus, aka COVID-19. Um, nothing like a good century do global virus to really force you to get the last things on your bucket list. <laughs> How so long have we been talking about this podcast? For truly, I feel like since the moment I came out of my mother's womb, even though podcasts didn't exist at the time, like the seed was planted then and we're harvesting it 27 years later. Um, That's a real TBT. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I, we have been talking about this podcast for a very, very, very long time. Yes, that is accurate. I easily could say, certainly since we've been done with school, I think podcasts, I'm trying to think, when did podcasts really like come on the scene? I'm trying to think of like S-Town or really popular podcasts that made it huge where regular peasants like us we're going to start doing our own podcast i feel like that was 2014 2015 really was it i feel like it was later than that like two years even, ago i was gonna say even that feels very that feels like a long time ago one one day i will have an episode with somebody who knows stuff about podcasts and we will have a really meta episode and we will learn more about this medium but that is not today because like you and I don't know enough. So 
So I'm going to no. say since we finished school, let's pretend like that's when we started talking about uh, this. Lest we, but also lest we forget that I have been a podcast host oh. for the Patients Have Power podcast I at Clara House. Par- pardon moi to our French listeners who are listening to this, who if this was a live recording would be listening to this at due in the morning in Paris. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, that's very Really, I should have. I should have added, we'll see, we're only 10 minutes into this episode, so we might not even make it to the end before I might get kicked out of my own podcast. And then then we'll know why it took five years to get it off the ground. Um, So other things, I was going to say, I was going to ask you um, to do like a mini, I should have written this down in advance. I'll add that to things that I should do. Wait, I want to put that in the Google Doc so I don't forget. Oh my god. Uh, me too. <laughs> okay, I want to do like a mini. Well, I think it would be fun to do like a mini newlywed game thing where I ask you uh, like three or four questions about our friendship and I write down the answers in advance and then see if what you say matches. Oh my god, that's so fun. Such a good segment. Not going to be able to right now we're going to do it live and in the spur of the moment, but I think that would be good prep sure. for me for a future episode. Um, because yes, certainly there are so many other things that I could have, I used your professional title to describe you, but I mean, that could have been, we could have had 10 minutes and I'd still be doing the intro because there's so many different things. So, um, one of the questions I was going to ask, uh, just to introduce people to your and I's relationship in particular and sort of orient them, we've done sort of 20,000 feet where the world is at right now, which is pretty much a dumpster fire and we don't really need to get into more detail than that like 2020 if anyone is listening to this in any year after 2020 if we make it through this year like that should be enough you should already know how terrible things are um but then bringing it down to you and me so i'd love to hear like a one to two minute mini uh timeline from you around like our friendship and how we how we first met any um if you have a humorous anecdote or two that you want to share within that i'm obviously fine with hearing it but pretty Mm. much just tracking how how we first met and how our friendship developed and any of the wow okay putting me on the spot didn't prepare for this but here we go uh so i'm locked and loaded i'm ready (laughs) date all the way back to and i won't even give you the year because i will not reveal our ages We're not old enough to care about that. (laughs) We are not, but we are young enough to care about it because so many people care about age in the healthcare industry. And you are made to be, and this is, I mean, this is a whole, we can do a whole um, For all healthcare executives listening, we're at least 45 and we're very accomplished (laughs) senior women. Minimum. Anti wrinkle cream all the time. (laughs) Very professional. Finished having children. (laughs) That's why you don't ever see them or hear them or. We yeah. never acknowledge your presence because they're already grown up. Okay. So, okay. This is the side fact. I will tell you the year. So it was back in 2010. Catherine and I went, wow, that's actually 10 years ago. Ooh. Okay. So, um, so, okay. Now I'm taking way too long to do this. So, all right. We met in 2010. Our freshman year of college at Northeastern University, which I'm a big fan of amazing co-op program and we'll get to the co-op in a minute. Uh, But Kat and I were on the same floor, just a couple doors down from each other. Um, Kat was 
<laughs> uh, well, okay. So I was known. I let's start with me. <laughs> I can't wait to hear the end of that sentence. But yes, I would love to hear your description. I was known as the queen of Seth and West. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. Catherine. I don't know. I'd like the Wikipedia source on that because <laughs> for those of us who are not Lily Stairs, there may or may not have been a difference. Was it self? Was it self? Um, what's that word? Self-given, self-proclaimed, self. Given, yeah. Self. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Some people would tell you that I was. I, I truly, I because I organized all of the like parties and getting people together to go out. I like wrangled like I, you were definitely you know, the social chair for sure. Social, were, yeah, exactly. So whatever, yeah. So I was the queen because all anybody cares about is social in in freshman year of college, except for people like Kat, who. Uh, we used to visit their sister in college when she was oh, younger sorry, and in high school. Jen. So she was too school, too <laughs> cool for school. When she came freshman year, she was she was over it. She didn't want to go out with I us. Wish I That's had fine. like so, Daria's haircut <laughs> and like some emo glasses, so I could just like flip it and pretend to smoke a cigarette right now. Because yeah, yeah, that is that with you. <laughs> and then that was really all of our interaction until no wait 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 wait. but uh, hold on i would yeah. i would like to add to that okay first of all i feel like fine you want to how do you how do you skip over your barbie the barbie era of lily i didn't, even, I didn't even know are you, you kidding really me about that Dude, your Instagram handle or Twitter handle like was autoimmune Barbie, and every every picture that's on Facebook. Which, if you're friends with Lily, I one thousand percent recommend looking at them. They are. You can never be sad again. Is how I would describe them. Like I would bring wow. them to a palliative care center and be like, "Here is a barrel of laughs for you." Just like guys, what? perk up because these photos exist. Excuse me. It feels like lying, now is the time. Lying down with your head resting on your shoulder with like <laughs> like eight <laughs> mini fireballs, <laughs> perfectly spaced. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Oh, like okay, this is embarrassing for me. So anyway, we'll we yes. might cut that part out. But anyways, the point is, you gotta <laughs> talk about you gotta talk about the Barbie. Uh, okay, all right, yeah. all right, fine, 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 fair. So, and and this does tie into what we'll talk about later. So, I think it's relevant. But you did, in all fairness, you asked for a one to two minute overview of our friendship. Well, now and I, I already, I think that, that was dumb. I I rescind that. You've I would like on, as much okay. time as I want because <laughs> okay, I'm a dick, this is a dictatorship. This is not a democratic podcast. <laughs> and now okay. I want to talk about this. So here we go. <laughs> Noted for future guests. Um, watch out. So we've got a uh Putin over here. What's the other one? No, other I want to be one? a female dictator. I want to be like that doesn't exist. Oh, God, there's gotta be one. <laughs> I wanna well, I don't want to say like Aung San Suu Kyi because she's a female like genocide leader. Um a female dictator. Whatever. We we don't need to I'll talk look about that up later. right now. I'll be but a pioneer. We'll, we'll I'll be the later. first female You can female add it dictator. in the podcast notes. You can add it in the podcast notes. Good so, point, good point. Um, autoimmune Barbie. Well, first of all, Barbie. So before it was autoimmune, it was just Barbie. Because as a freshman year of college, I was living um, not quite an autoimmune-free life because I had received a psoriasis diagnosis when I was seven. But that impacted me much less. And so, uh, yeah. So I basically somehow got the title of 
being like a Barbie, which again, somehow, excuse me. I'd like to call bullshit on that comment. You literally (laughs) self-branded it. Like you leaned into it. Well, okay. When you, it kind of felt fun at the time. And this was like, I'm not saying you should regret leaning into it. No, this was, I have to say, I have to, but I have to like say this was sort of pre-feminist Lily to brand myself as a Barbie because I mm. would not necessarily want to lean into that now. Um, mm. I, I think that Barbie is doing some good things trying to promote like Green. women in the workforce, but I still don't like the traditional sense of the word Barbie. Like I, I don't like yeah. the connotation yeah, yeah, yeah. associated with that, but again, I'm in it. I'm, I'm, you know, but that was post-feminist t- now. a decade ago, pre-feminist Lily not post-feminist. As, as like every other Active feminist. I don't know. human being who is, uh self-aware you are growing and changing every year so that's okay I just think it's so iconic it's like an iconic feature of your aesthetic freshman year and I like to think that I you know added to I made the Barbie brand a positive a Mm -hmm. positive right like you know this is an empowered woman who is trying I'm yes I'm blonde but (laughs) Guys, she's brilliant. And I wear, and I wear she's blonde, blonde and she's here. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So, there was a time in our freshman hall where mm. there was a whiteboard, mm. and my pink whiteboard marker was used to write reasons why Lily is Barbie. The entire whiteboard was filled with reasons that I am considered a Barbie doll, or I that should be my nickname. And so it exists. There's actually still a photo on Facebook of it somewhere. I am very intrigued to know what was on that whiteboard. Yeah, um, there's some dated stuff on there, but uh, yeah. Um, So, and so, and then from that point forward, we also called any like dating prospects, Ken's. Yes. Out on the hunt looking for Ken's tonight. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, yeah. you should bring that back. That you should put back in your dating profile. <laughs> you know, is that, is that, I, I, <laughs> I think it's like, time to go full circle. You know, yeah. we're 10 years yeah, into circle. our dating lives. You know, not so, necessarily anyways. any better off. <laughs> let's, let's go back. <laughs> let's do a full circle moment. But anyways, yes. So that was uh, that was freshman year, um, which I agree. That's when we that's when our paths first uh, crossed. And I would agree with your description of me freshman year. Um, That was the first truly the first uh, semester of Northeastern was maybe one of the hardest semesters. That was like maybe one of the hardest times in my life because I just felt like I, I really, really felt like I didn't belong and not necessarily like oh I know that I belong somewhere else instead of this it was just like I felt very either too far ahead or way too behind what felt like every other group that was on campus um so coming back after I distinctly remember going home for Christmas break and thinking like oof I don't know if I really want to come back blah 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 whatever um and then I don't know what happened I don't know if it was being at home and just having a break from people and coming back to them or just you know the first semester freshman year people are insane and by second semester already people start to calm down a little bit because the novelty is worn off but I I like never had that thought again I didn't even have it you know two or three weeks into spring semester freshman year but um yeah that was definitely a new 
that was not what I would describe as a tradition. I didn't, I definitely did not have a traditional, oh, I arrive on campus and I'm like so excited to be here and everybody I meet is so great and blah, blah, blah. And like now, you know, five years down the line, even when we went to graduation, like most of the people that we met were, were great just by nature of Northeastern and the way that it's structured and certainly how difficult it was to get in at the time. I mean, now I can't even look at it because I haven't been able, I don't think high school me would have been able to get in as of, you know, three years ago. If oh my not God, absolutely not. Even, even in, even in while we were in school, because I, I did work in the admissions office. It just got yeah. increased. Oh my God. Harder. In the five years that we were there, it moved up so many places. It got so much harder, but anyways, um, yeah, you're yeah. welcome, so Northeastern. Love year, fast over here. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. Like, I would like Northeastern does not sponsor this pod currently, but I am very happy to plug them. Look, you wouldn't even have to write out episode one. I'm just episode one. Episode no data. Two, no metrics, I'd like a major sponsor. sponsor. I'd like thousands of dollars. I mean, Aoun, like, you're Lebanese. I'm Lebanese. Like, you know, it's all in the fam. Yeah. We love, we stay in nepotism. We're all about We it. live in the same neighborhood. We live in the same neighborhood. Our, our apartments are the same number. Bougie. We're like, I'm Bougie. pretty much the same person. I'm pretty much the president. Exactly. The exactly. I could swap it. Um, but yes, freshman year, our paths crossed very briefly. Um, and then I would say pretty, which sometimes I think about this and I think it's kind of crazy that they didn't, but I think like pretty much did not really, I mean, a little bit second, second year because of, um, who I was rooming with at the time and there no, was you some didn't, social you would not have seen me. But you no, 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 no I agree. There was like year. some, I mean, there was like some tangential social overlap in like the groups of people that we were friends with to a certain extent. But I feel like I really did not see you. I don't feel like we were really no, like either. part of each other's lives again until final year. I was also hospitalized this yes. sophomore year. So you definitely didn't yes. see me that year. Small um, small but then, <laughs> we'll get to that in a but second. Then, yeah. Um, then junior year, which was our technically our fourth year because the Northeastern is a five-year mm-hmm. program in the middle is the midler year. Um, you and I were reunited mm-hmm. at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement uh, also not sponsoring this pod, but is my current employer. So um, <laughs> if that ever changes, if you want to sponsor, I try. You know Use, I think I feel like you should disclaim that you do not, your discussions do not reflect the views yes. of your employer. Uh, yes. You're welcome. I should thank you, hot tip from a podcast queen. Mm. Um yeah. My my views do not represent my employer or any other organization I am affiliated with. Excellent. Me okay. either. Um so, uh <laughs> except for my own business. I well, guess. no, you you are representing a company's uh perspective in Correct. the company of one. I don't represent my I don't represent my clients. This isn't my representing yes. my clients though. Yes. Okay. So yeah, so we were reunited. We're in, um, there's like, I don't know, 10 co-ops at this particular organization. And when we get there, it's something like that. We're mm-hmm. in a room and Kat and I are definitely the oldest. I think we were the oldest ones of everyone because it was mm-hmm. like a lot of first year co-ops and we were second mm-hmm. or third year co-ops mm-hmm. or I'm sorry, second second time or third time co-ops. And so it was funny because while we didn't totally like gel, freshman year and I think mm-hmm. that was mostly because we were in very different head spaces mm-hmm. and just different places 
we clicked right away Mm -hmm. and like long story short we spent a lot of our times like all of our time together while on co-op eat lunch Mm -hmm. together had a lot of good chats and then turns out we were our senior year not intentionally ended up living next door to each other on the same street um in like, good old I wish Hill. that I would have a, a coincidence like that again in my life. That would be amazing. That it was, was so amazing. Clutch. It was amazing. Oh. So clutch. That was great. So amazing. Spent a lot of time together there. And then when we graduated our senior year in 2015, mm-hmm. we decided to live together. Whoa, mm-hmm. big step. Move in because... Um, because we were... Because we... Well, I don't know what it was for you. I mean, I'm sure it was something similar, but... For me, it was we, you were the only other person. So everybody, for the people who are geographically familiar with Boston and Cambridge, Boston is on the south side of the Charles River and Cambridge is on the north side. And everybody I knew and and Northeastern is on the Boston side and IHI where we were working was on the, the Cambridge side and the other organization that Lily ended up getting a job with was on the Cambridge side. And you were the only, you were literally the only person I knew who was still staying in like the state of Massachusetts who was living, who was going to live on the other side of the river. Every single other person I knew was not even going to stay in the state or the few people that were staying were like, well, I'll just kind of resign where I am right now in, in mm. student housing. So glad to hear I was your first choice. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, I'm not saying that is the reason <laughs> why, but it was a big, well, it was, sort it's of not a like reason it. why we're, it's not the reason why we're friends, <laughs> but it was definitely one of the biggest reasons because I felt like we were both looking for housing on the other side of the river and we wanted to be on the red line and and we um, moved at the same time it was kind of it yeah, was perfect so was anyways perfect. um and then you know the rest is history i got a cat as in like got a cat like a feline then two months later not a cat you know as in like cat who's hosting this podcast she didn't buy i a have person, to differentiate <laughs> by a person i didn't like purchase cat uh and then Two months later, Kat got a cat, and then oh, I lived magical. in a house of cats. It was oh me and Kat. So, yeah. That was a time. Shout out to Kingsley and Raja. So, anyway, that's our history. Still asleep. Kingsley also still asleep? Still asleep. Obviously. Riveted. They so. are riveted. We're telling your own story, you ungrateful little boobs. Um, yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that pretty much brings us to today. Well, okay, I'll add a few quick things just to get us up to date. Uh, so we lived there, went through a few different jobs and um, living situations. Then last year we stopped living together for the first time in like no, it was two point. years ago. No, two years. last February. Two Februarys ago. I moved to San Francisco in 2017. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Dude, how is that possible? Oh, my God. My brain is fried. Wow, that's terrifying. Well, you can tell I blacked that out because that was a traumatic uh, time in my life. Traumatic for everyone. I've traumatic for everyone. Uh, Lily literally left me behind with a person that I still to this day like don't know if she was actually a full-on human being. I think she might have been like a okay, 15-year-old. Well- masking as as a person with a quote-unquote i am using quotation marks you can't hear it on the microphone but there are lots of heavy 
sarcastic quotation marks who had a job, even though she was literally always at home every single minute of every day of every day of the week. Well, I moved to San Francisco and hated it. So it Lily was not also a suffered. Lily also suffered. It was rough. It was rough. It a lot was, of suffering all around. A lot it of was, suffering all it around. It was useful growth, blah, 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 all those things. But um, yeah. yes, it was a dark time for both of us for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, different yeah, reasons, accurate. but we don't like to talk about that time. And then thankfully she moved back. Um, and now she is a full on North End resident. Um, living Love the North End. Big fan. So, uh, within you don't know, because we have such a large, or you, you have such a large viewing audience from around the world. Yes, um, yes, I do. <laughs> the North There's End so many, is... so many, I won't even waste your time listing all the places that people listen from. <laughs> <laughs> the North End, full of Italian food. Um, I eat way too much of it, but anyways, it's not important. I feel like, you know, it's, an, it's, well, Kat, you are directing, you are directing. Yeah. Excuse me. How, how dare story. you decide, excuse me, my listeners That's are my equally, equally interested in the geographic location of my guests <laughs> as well as what they know about. I was about um, to like steal your thunder and go into the next section and then I, I realized mean, I was not running this podcast so sorry you are welcome to edit my google doc whenever you want <laughs> I did just realize that <laughs> I misspelled the word podcast as um in the google doc so you can tell it was Great written start. by a professional okay Great so start. Let's talk about the name of the game. Uh, so this podcast mm. is called Literal Sense of the Word. First draw, or, oh my God, I've said literal the whole time. It's liberal. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be a real laugh for everybody. This is why we're in, this is what happens when I Wait, do this. is it, I was wondering, it's is it literal, literal or is it liberal? It's liberal. Oh. It's liberal because that's what I say all the time. I'm always using that term sarcastically. So that felt really appropriate. And um, I use it sarcastically, but on this podcast, I want to use it somewhat seriously in the sense that I feel like I have so many friends uh, around the world and across the U.S. who know so much about these really interesting topics that I do think frequently get tossed around and people don't know what they mean. And Lily, obviously, there's so many words that you and I could have picked on such a range of topics. But in light of our mm -hmm. current pandemic uh, lifestyle, I did think that um, immunosuppression was a good word to choose because I know you have a lot of personal and professional experience in that area. So I wanted to start by reading you the incredibly, incredibly helpful definition from dictionary.com, which is <laughs> to suppress the normal immune response. So yeah, as long as you know what the hell normal immune response uh, is, you're good to go. You can throw that bad boy all around. Well, um, and you know, I... I read also online, and this is the dictionary definition as well, or some mm. other dictionary definition when I Googled it, because I knew you were going to do this because you told me about how the podcast structure works. So I needed to be prepared. Trade secret, trade secret. <laughs> <laughs> so I Googled it and what I saw come up, and now I did not, it's probably not the dictionary.com definition, but it mm. literally, all it said was impaired immune system. Like, 
this is trash. How is that supposed to be useful for anybody? <laughs> so yeah, it's, love, not. it's not. So I so I'd love to get your definition of it. And I'm first I'd love to get your definition just in terms of like very quickly, what are we really talking about when we're talking about the immune system and, and what does it mean to suppress it? And then I have a few questions to ask you to to sort of flesh out a little bit more why you are the person that I would want to talk to about this and why I think you have the right perspective and experience on this to share with people who are either not immunosuppressed and so don't have never really looked into it and don't know anything about it or who maybe are recently diagnosed as immunosuppressed, et cetera, et cetera. So what's your, if you were going to replace the dictionary.com definition, what would you say instead? Well, because I knew this was the punchline of the podcast, I did prepare, I did not prepare anything else, but I did prepare a definition because I wanted it to be a, like a good definition and I kept Mm -hmm. it relatively short, but I Mm -hmm. feel that it adds much needed color to the existing definition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, what I just, how I would um, define immunocompromise is an immune system that is on the struggle bus and yields a life full of compromises. Ooh, wow. Okay, I'd like to put a note for myself that I will now mandate that as homework for people because I think that was amazing. Um, so, yeah. Love wow, Lily, Ape, you're really crushing it. I know you, like I, are a, are a type A person, so I give you need that external validation. So, I obviously <laughs> would love. So, tell me a little bit more around why you chose that words, uh, why you chose those words in particular to to replace that sort of, what does that mean? What, or why were those the important words to mention? Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think, well, if you don't mind, I might take a step back and just explain my Please. background yes. and how I got to that. Mm-hmm. So I am, and I alluded this to this earlier, um, have been diagnosed with multiple autoimmune diseases. I live with Crohn's disease, psoriatic arthritis, and psoriasis. I was diagnosed with both Crohn's disease and psoriasis, or psoriatic arthritis at the age of 19, back to back within six months of each other. Very severe onset, um, crippling arthritis, total body to the point that I couldn't move. My mom had to dress me and feed me. Six months later, I was hospitalized in and out of the ER three times in one weekend. Um, finally was hospitalized and and doctors ran a number of tests and they discovered that I had leaning ulcers in my small intestine, at which point they diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. And as I mentioned, I had to, I was not around sophomore year at Northeastern and that was because I had to take significant amount of time off to try to get my conditions under control. And I'm very lucky to say that I've been in medically controlled remission for six years now. And that's because of of an amazing medication that has been developed by um, biotech and pharmaceutical companies. And so when I talk about immunocompromised, I'm coming at this from the perspective of an autoimmune disease patient. And I spend my personal and my professional life, um, you know, obviously living with these autoimmune diseases, but have dedicated my professional work to the healthcare space and am working and talking with patients on a regular basis. And so you will see patients, a patient who is immunocompromised, this is, means one of two things. 
you could have a patient that is immunocompromised because their condition actually elicits that response. Um, that could be something like AIDS, but you could also have uh, a treatment that is causing you to be immunocompromised. So in my case, my autoimmunities, what happens with that is my disease is, my, my immune system is overactive. It's attacking it. So my body is attacking itself and it's resulting in the symptoms that, that I have. What these medicines do is they suppress my immune system. So they essentially stop the immune system from working so that it doesn't overreact and attack itself. And that leaves people, quote unquote, immunocompromised, meaning that you are not in a position to fight external illness or viruses or bacteria or whatever it might mm-hmm. be um, in a normal way. So you're going to get sicker easier and you're going to get sicker for a longer period of time. And there's going to be a lot more serious ramifications. So that's what, you know, you're looking at when you look at immunocompromised. And the reason that I have adapted this definition, the way in which I have, is because when I say the, the struggle bus, that's one of my favorite terms to use <laughs> just in general. I always am like, oh, that person's on the struggle bus, having a rough day. I'm on the struggle bus, having a rough day. It's just like, to me, it's 2020s the on the struggle bus, having a rough 2020s on the three months bus. and counting. Uh, yeah, ex- exactly. That's exactly it. So that term just resonates for me. Um, and and it when you're immunocompromised, it makes a lot of things difficult. And the reason I said, um, you know, it yields a life full of compromises. And obviously, that's a bit of a play on the word immunocompromised. But you are as an immunocompromised person you are required day in and day out to think differently and make decisions that other people don't have to think about, other people who aren't immunocompromised to protect yourself, to save yourself. And so if you, there are a lot of people who, you know, we're seeing in in the age of this coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, all of a sudden, everybody's hand sanitizing, excessively washing their hands, self-quarantining, all of this stuff. A lot of patients, cancer patients, autoimmune patients, um, rare disease patients already do this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of patients who they have to quarantine themselves from, you know, if they know there's a big event happening, sometimes they have to stay, they, they cannot take part in it, right? They have to stay home because mm-hmm. they know it could be a danger to expose themselves to those germs. Um, expose themselves to those germs. They are regularly carrying hand sanitizer. They are regularly wiping down their seats on the plane and um, mm-hmm. because that's just a part of their lives. And now every, everyone's kind of almost experiencing that to a certain sense, uh, certain extent. So again, it's just, it's, it's a life full of compromise in making these decisions um, that ultimately sometimes you have to miss out on things that you would really mm-hmm. like to be a part of. But that's just the reality. And I'll, I'll pause there because I really just went on for quite a while. No, I mean, I, I mean, all of that was amazing. I think one, just on a quick sort of technical term basis, because I am fortunate enough to not have to deal with this right now. So I hear a lot in the media, people use immunosuppressed and I hear you saying immunocompromised. And for me, immunocompromised 
feels like the better term to use because it's more sort of inclusive across the board. And it's saying like, your it, to me, that means that your immune system is not going to function at 100% the way that it's supposed to function, whatever that means, whether that's it's overactive or underactive, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I feel like based on what you said, and I want you to just confirm whether this is correct or not, that immunosuppressed is only talking about one part of that, which sounds like when that happens naturally, obviously you're trying to medically induce that, but when that's happening naturally, you're talking about people whose immune system is not functioning as highly as it should on its own. But I feel like immunocompromised sounds like the better term to use because that feels like a bigger umbrella of the people who, especially as we're talking about obviously Corona and COVID right now, but in general, when we're talking about people Mm -hmm. who have to take the kind of precautionary measures that you're talking about, it feels like immunocompromised would better cover the range of people who have to deal with that. Is that, does that sound correct? Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely accurate. Um, And that's, that's what, so, and I'm not a scientist, so if you're getting into the nitty gritty of it, um, I'm probably not the best person to answer, but in my opinion, yes, it's immunocompromised is more inclusive. Immunosuppressed is definitely more specifically referring to your immune system is being suppressed by a medication or treatment. By something, yeah. So I think in the other question that I was, so you already answered some of the questions I was going to ask, which is great. <laughs> um, so one of my questions was going to be, what does that mean? To, what does that mean like sort of in the everyday in, in, in bringing it closer to what is the reality of being someone who's immunocompromised? And you already touched on some of that. I think one of the important distinctions that I think about um, as I think about your experience and some of the other pop immunocompromised populations that I have some interactions with, whether that's professional, personal, et cetera, is the distinction between people who are immunocompromised for a specific period of time, such as people who have cancer and who are going through chemotherapy or things like that, and people who are chronically immunocompromised, right? So for, because for me, yes, even as I think about the COVID stuff right now, like all of these measures and washing my hands, you know, my hands are like, I'm developing not blisters, but like my skin is splitting where it normally wouldn't split unless I was lifting really heavy weights or something just because I'm washing it so hard uh, or so many times. And okay, yes, that's an inconvenience, but I only have to do it for a specific amount of time. And then in theory, at some point I can stop and not to take away from what it's like to be on really intensive medications like chemotherapy and radiation for whatever amount of time you have to be on them. But I do think it's different when you think there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel and you feel like, okay, I just need to get through this six month, one year, 18 months, whatever it is. And then hopefully you can sort of quote unquote return to normal versus people who get the diagnoses, like the kind of diagnoses that you got and you, and you know, this is true for all chronic diseases, but when you say, okay, that's the, in theory, that's like sort of the rest of your life until, until you find a cure, until you find something that can put you into remission. Um, so I'd love to, right now, I feel like we're learning a, a portion, certainly not the full experience, but a portion of what it's like to be immunocompromised for a short amount of time. But if there's anything that comes to mind for you when you think about somebody who has that uh, chronic diagnosis of some of the things that are just fundamentally different 
in the long run for how for how you live your life i'd love to hear what comes to mind i mean some of the things that you've told me come to mind but i obviously would rather hear it from you oh interesting um yeah i so it, it impacts so far beyond just i mean right now we're talking again especially in the age of like covid and coronavirus like we're talking so specifically about like washing your hands and and um, self-quarantining, but there's a lot more nuances and ways that being immunocompromised impacts your life. Um, and one of them that I can speak to, and I'm actually curious to hear what you, uh, the things that you remember that I've talked about, but um, one thing that I'll share from the autoimmune perspective that is particularly prevalent um, because it is 75% of people who are diagnosed with autoimmune diseases are women, and they are diagnosed between the ages of 15 and 30, which is women of childbearing age. And so a lot of women are confronted with, uh, you know, additional stress around pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum and breastfeeding because of the medication they're on or not on and being immunocompromised and how does that impact it? And, and we've seen a lot for people with autoimmune diseases that pregnancy and breastfeeding, or, or I'm sorry, pregnancy and postpartum can either put you into remission or cause flares and we don't really know why. Um, and so there are all of these additional considerations like in your life and how you live your life and something that's like a really, for, for many people in their lives, some, some people don't have children, but a lot of people, decided they want to. Um, but it's a really different conversation if you're a woman living with a, a chronic autoimmune disease, um, particularly when you're immunocompromised and you're on these medications that are causing that. Um, and so thinking about how that impacts it. And there are a lot of women, you know, we don't have a lot of data on women staying on their medications while they're pregnant and breastfeeding. And so what what should women be doing? I mean, ultimately, we, we preliminary data shows that we should be staying on our medications. I don't want to, you know, promote that people get off of them because it's better for the baby to be exposed to medication than it is inflammation. Mm -hmm. But again, there's just so many unanswered questions for people who have these like lifelong diseases. There's a lot of uncertainty and living in the unknown. And that's what we're experiencing right now during coronavirus. We don't really know when this is going to end. We hope it's in four to six weeks. We hope it's, it's in, we hope it's sooner than that, but we have no idea what the impact is. Imagine totally. that being your entire life. The, you don't know. I don't know. Any one day, my medication could stop working. Yeah. Any one day, I could have an unknown side effect. We, we just, I, I, you live in the unknown. And I actually think it's really interesting because a lot of patients, I just saw a patient post, um, a fellow IBD patient post um, yesterday on her Instagram about how like she's seeing a lot of people are really anxious. And she said, I understand. She said one benefit of having lived with chronic illness for so long is like, I've learned how to get comfortable living in the unknown. And so I guess that in some ways you can consider that um, a strength and a resilience that we gain in our lives as people who are immunocompromised and, and living with these conditions. Uh, but it certainly is, um, you know, scary. So I, that was a couple of things rolled into one. <laughs> no, no, no. I think with, all that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's perfect. And I think the part of, 
for me, so I can share, I can share some things that came to mind when I thought about some of the sort of real life consequences is not the right term I want to say, but just sort of impact of, of what it means when you have specific, when you are specifically immunocompromised, which I do think one of the questions that I, one of the things I would love to hear your perspective on is some of the unique challenges that immunocompromised patients face that is, that are different than other patients with chronic diseases. I have some ideas of what they are, but obviously you would know better. Some of the things that came to mind when I was thinking about things that you've told me is, again, if you're specifically thinking about what it's like to be chronically immunocompromised versus immunocompromised for a short amount of time or versus the sort of quote unquote general population, one is that there, and this is common amongst all chronic diseases, is just the element of lifestyle change and how much of a difference that can make. And I think about your diet and how much that has changed. And even I remember, you know, a few years ago when you realized that you were allergic to soy and like all of the learnings that came from, or not allergic to soy, but that soy wasn't, was an inflammatory, um, ingredient for you and realizing how like Jesus, every piece of food we make, it turns out has soy in it to a certain extent. Um, but I think similar to other chronic diseases, just how much of lifestyle make and how different obviously it is to live with those lifestyle changes sort of in perpetuity. Um, the other thing I was thinking about, which I, I think in some, although I don't want to say all cases, is unique to immunocompromised patients is the fact that it's an invisible disease. So I think a lot about what you used to tell me about or what I feel like I used to hear you talk about um, in terms of riding the train, like where we used to live when we were going to IHI, you know, that train ride was a solid 45 minutes because you had to go all the way into downtown Boston and then all the way back out. And that's, you know, hoping that there's no trains that are uh off the track or whatever just like blinking in the wrong direction which feels like is all it needs for the red line to be like shut down for the whole day <laughs> um and then you're just better <laughs> off walking but um i remember you used to talk about how you know you're a you're a very young vibrant woman and how do people understand that you actually fall under the vulnerable populations who need the seat, even though technically a lot of the times that's framed as people who will have a visible challenge, whether that's being pregnant or being in a wheelchair, et cetera, et cetera. Like how do you explain to somebody or how can you sort of quickly in those very small intimate interactions convey that you actually need it just as much as those other people. Um, and I see that as something that I'm sure comes up in other places in general, but just like the whole, or that comes up in other places, but I think in general, just the whole concept of having a chronic disease that is invisible and either dealing with people not believing you or not taking you at your word when you're saying, Hey, actually I need this. And, or, being forced to then explain in a way that, you know, not everybody wants to talk about their health condition every minute of every day with random strangers in whatever setting it is. Um, but things like that, which obviously are 
Mm. You know, sometimes you're like, sometimes I'm sure you're like, you know, just, I just want the flipping seat and I don't want to have to go through like the 10 minute feel of why I need the seat. Like, I just would like you to take me at my word and trust that like, if I'm saying I need the seats, cause I actually need the seat. Right. So those are, those are two things. That no, that's amazing. And I, I'm glad you brought that up. It's funny because I just, I guess that in this sort of speaks to my point of you learn to sort of live with it and the resilience I kind of just didn't even think of that when you brought it up and <laughs> I, I think because it's just so integrated into my daily life totally. um, but yeah no exactly I mean so from the diet perspective absolutely and um, you know it's interesting because I was just reading an article uh, and I'll, I'll give you the links you can link to it in the podcast notes before we, we were um, hopped on the podcast on uh, ableism and how that's become a topic of conversation to a certain extent, at least within my communities um, during the coronavirus. And it's really like when you think about diet, that is something a lot of people have to alter when you have a chronic illness or an autoimmune disease, um, whether you like it or not, you know, in tandem with medicine. And oftentimes specialty diets cost, cost more money. And right now, with what everything we're dealing with, prices are going up because demand is going up on totally. essential toilet paper, kind of things that you would typically buy at the store, food that you would typically buy at the store. This is the life of people who live with chronic illness. You're, you're constantly spending more money <laughs> to accommodate and, and, and you're often the person who's in the position to make the least amount of income just because of your circumstances. Um, and so you asked about like other ways that when you're immunocompromised, it can impact your day-to-day -day life. And that's certainly in, in the workforce. Um, there are a lot of patients who are unable to work in an office or need a more flexible schedule that they can step out to go get infusions. They can work from home during certain days in the winter when a lot of people in the office are infected with a cold and coughing everywhere. Because when an immunocompromised gets your common person, gets your common cold, they're going to have it much longer and much worse than your person who is not immunocompromised. But what's interesting, and again, this was also referenced in this article on ableism, is that a lot of workplaces have not been accommodating to remote work for years now, even when people request it. All of a sudden, though, because of demand oh, yeah. and because able-bodied people, many able-bodied people need to be at home, all of a sudden, it's, it's okay for us to do that. And I get totally. it. It's a national emergency. We absolutely should be. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But the point being here that True, All that, of a sudden, that, you know, people are moving mountains, right? Because yeah. it's infecting most of the population. So, well, and that, I, I mean, and those that people that, that who are, ways. and that people who are, I, uh, I have mixed feelings on the term disability, but I also say that as a person who's able-bodied, so maybe it doesn't matter. But I'll say that for right now, just because I think it's the most accurate. But where disability advocates have been pushing for that for years, mm -hmm. right, and gone unheard, which is a classic health equity like marginalized population asking for something, and you only get it once the the non-marginalized population is affected by it, which is incredibly unfair and unjust. On the other hand, you can view it as sort of a silver lining that maybe come, this will sort of 
forcing function cause companies to be more accommodating to those kind of requests. Um, I I think you were the one who had shared or somebody, I want to say it was you, but somebody had shared something on Instagram that was a, a tweet from a disability rights advocate who was saying, you know, the fact that you are allowed to work from home is considered a reasonable accommodation and you have people with disabilities to thank for that that right, which comes with the, at least in the mm. U.S., comes with the um, American Disability Act, which is a fascinating piece of legislation in terms of how it came about, how it's been enforced, what it includes, what it doesn't, who are the people involved in it. I mean, that could be a whole other episode. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a, per- I think it's a great, and I, again, it gets back to the, like, the visible versus invisible. Like, I wish that human beings were not this way, but the reality is we trust things more when we can see them with our own eyes. So when yeah. we're, when nobody is allowed to be in the office and that makes it very black and white that, okay, I guess people just, we have to allow them to work remotely, or at least that's what I think the approach should be for a lot of jobs. Obviously there are plenty of jobs that, that just doesn't work. And then the response should be, we're going to give them paid leave. But for the jobs where that is possible, that makes it very black and white. I personally have never, and I'm not an HR expert. I'm not a legal expert. I'm sure there are some, there is some reason for this, but I feel like, especially with a lot of uh, white collar jobs, I have never understood why people need to ask to work remotely. It's just like in 2020, the internet and laptops and cameras and all of the technological devices that we have, there are just very few white collar jobs that you can tell me cannot be done remotely. So I think the fact that people even need to ask, I, I just personally think that's and I think it's, I just feel I agree, like there are better think, things for your team, your team who manages that, whether that's HR or something else. I just feel like there's better things for them to spend their time on. Like as long as somebody, as long as people are getting their job done, they're showing up on time for the meetings they need to show up for. They're filling everything out. They're doing their work. Like who the hell cares? And and again, to your point, people don't, you don't understand it until you go through it and you experience in, right and now all of these able-bodied quote-unquote able-bodied mm-hmm. people are experiencing it and understanding it and that will make an impact moving forward in the future and and again when you were talking about you look at the um public transit it is really hard for people to understand I get that I get it I'm a young when I at the time when I was really sick and in active inflammation total body arthritis I was 19 um and you're not going to let, you're going to look, I had, I remember getting dirty looks from people when I was sitting and I was come, on my way home from, I was on co-op at the time and it was a 45 minute to an hour commute. And I was in so much pain and an elderly person would get on the train and people would look at me like, why isn't this young woman getting sure. up to offer her seat? And so, um, and, and, you know, thankfully at the time, you know, God bless the, the organization I was working with, they, I, I talked to them about actually getting accommodation where I could work, like I, I could commute in off hours so that I could be on the train when it was less crowded, basically, and always get a seat. So I didn't have to worry about that. Um, and so, you know, there, there are organizations and people out there who are doing that. And I think we're going to move trend towards that. But again, I mean, these are examples, what you and I have now talked about, it's your diet, your lifestyle, 
your workplace. I mean, this impacts every single part of your life. When you are immunocompromised, when you are living with a chronic illness, it in some way, shape or form in, in family planning, it, it impacts everything. Um, and so right now, uh, you know, not that I'm happy about it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm terrified for our country and our world, but I, my hope is that out of this, we see some empathy that comes from the people who are now, you know, all of us who are self-quarantining and, um, you know, living this sort of life surrounded by four walls that we are able to embrace and understand what it is that people with chronic illness live with and are going to live with for their entire lives. Totally. And I think that's, I don't think anyone, I mean, I appreciate that you gave it. I would certainly hope that nobody needs to give the caveat of like, they're not happy that COVID is happening, but at, yeah. this, point when it's, but at this point when it's so inevitable and when it's going to go on for such a long amount of time, I think it's a much better use of your time to start to try to find the silver linings. You know, I was reading the stuff about how pollution had gone down by such a dramatic amount because people, and air pollution and water pollution because people were just not moving around and not contaminating things. I'm not saying that I'm happy that it happened so that we could get that outcome, but Hey, it happened and that outcome is happening and that's a positive outcome. And so like, let's take the small wins from that for right now. There's going to be widespread pain and, and devastation and death in a lot of places because of this. So that's that's an inevitable. So I'd rather celebrate some of the the small positives that are coming out of it. And I think that's, I think that's a great example. I, you know, if you want to think about it more broadly, I hope that people who work remotely full time feel like they get a more empathetic response from their employer, whether or not they're doing that for health reasons, for people who have kids or people who work part-time in general, that people are just more, um, empathetic to what it what it's like when you're not physically in the office all the time. So you sort of answered some of the final questions. So some of the things that I wanted to um some of the things well okay I'll ask you the questions and you can decide how you want to <laughs> how you want to answer them. So some of the things I wanted to ask you and I'm debate the question I think to you is whether you want to answer them in the context of COVID corona right now or in the broader context of just life. Um, again, it somewhat depends on how quickly I edit this. So this may or may not be relevant if we do it within Corona, but obviously it will be permanently relevant if we do it within the context of life. But, uh, I'd love to hear some advice that you have for people who are immunocompromised. What can they do to, to stay, I wrote sane and safe, and that's obviously related to the current crisis. Maybe that's not the right term if you're going to talk about in the long run. Um, and then what advice do you have for people who are not immunocompromised? How can we be good allies? How allies, how can we help people who are immunocompromised, um, feel supported, feel safe, et cetera. So your balls in your court and how you want to answer that (laughs) short term. That's a nice way to end. I like that. Um, so, uh, first of all, for people who are immunocompromised, for those who have not found community, For those who have not gone online and joined Facebook groups and 
um, connected with their at local advocacy organizations, I highly recommend doing that. I, I was re- actually resist for the advocate I am now. I was extremely resistant to it at first. I remember my mom would always say when I was first diagnosed, "Why don't you connect with other people who are going through this? Like try to go to a support group meeting." And I, I didn't want to, and I, I can't honestly tell you why I didn't want to. I just wasn't open or ready for it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're ready, consider going and, and doing that because uh, connecting with other people people who quote unquote get it uh, is invaluable. And I always like to frame, um, I, I have a sign in my apartment, Pat can attest to, when life gives you lemons, add salt and tequila. And I love that because- So here you have it you know, first guys, would, drink tequila. That's Lily's Drink solution. tequila, that's the solution. Um, like, yes, that is a solution. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I do, I will, I love a good glass of wine or a good margarita, but any day, but. This is, um, this you know, pod is also it. not currently sponsored by any alcohol distributors, but <laughs> we will not turn your money down. Hit us up. And I, I like that because it's not your classic when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Because not everything is that effing perfect. I'm censoring myself, right? When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's phrase has annoyed me a little bit. And so I love that when life gives you lemons, add salt and tequila. It's a little saltier, like literally, but also, um, yeah, I, I, it's stronger, right? It's also stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, literally it's a stronger drink. Um, but this idea that truly, and I believe this, your experience as an immunocompromised person, as a person living with a chronic illness, has made you stronger and more resilient, whether, whether you like it or not, like you inherently are very strong for everything that you're going through. And and what can you do to channel that strength to, um, not necessarily make an impact. You don't have to, if you don't want to do it, some people do that and and they want to go make a difference, make an impact, but channel that strength into something that's meaningful to you. So that's my advice to people who are immunocompromised. For people who are not immunocompromised, for people who are allies in this, um, challenging yourself, especially during this time, in the time of coronavirus or outside of it, but I think this is a good time for us to reflect. Challenge yourself to think about what it is like to be a person who is immunocompromised. So all of the frustrations you're feeling right now about being locked inside your apartment or your house or whatever it might be, and thinking about, oh, I'm bummed because I'm missing my birthday celebration, or I don't get to go on the vacation that I wanted to go on. Thinking about how that's the life of a person living with chronic illness, and there's no expiration date on that. And that it stands far beyond just the small sacrifices that we are ultimately making right now. Um, in the age of, of COVID. So um, thinking about that and then doing what you can to reach out. I, I've had a lot of friends who during this time have reached out to me and said, listen, I know that this is a little different for you. I know that you are, you know, compromised. So I'm like, can I, can I pick up groceries? Can I, um, you know, just can you want to hop on a call? People who are reaching out, reach out to your friends, let them know you're there to support. So those are, that, those are my two big pieces of advice. That's awesome. I'm also going to make the plug, although, again, I hope it's completely unnecessary at this point, although I did just watch a terrifying video from the beaches of Florida where 
I truly feel like that whole state is going through what in future history books they will just call natural selection. Um, stay the F home. And that goes across the board for the people who are immunocompromised. They're like, duh, I'm already doing that. <laughs> I would never have taken that risk. Uh, for anybody who is not immunocompromised, just do it anyways. We live in 2020. If you are listening to this podcast, you're probably one of my friends. I don't know anybody who lives in a rural part of America where they don't have access to the internet. Like, it's not that hard. Just freaking stay home. Uh, like, end of discussion. I don't, I don't want to hear anymore. Stay home. It. That's it. That's um, it. How do we get yeah. all of the insane people in Florida, like the kids who are spring Truly, breaking, how do we get dude, them to listen to oh this? I do not the know. The stuff that I just watched from these kids in Florida, I'm like, I don't, they're not, I can't even blame Floridians. I mean, I can blame Floridians for electing a state government that doesn't care enough to take more drastic action. But like, obviously so many of them are not from Florida. They travel there for spring break. And I'm just like, I don't, it's, I feel like I feel this feeling. I have felt this feeling so much in 2020 and a lot in 2019 too. So maybe it was always there and I'm just paying attention to it more, but it's one of those moments where I just feel like, how do you and I exist at the same time in history? Like, how are you, I think you're technically part of my generation. You might be Gen Z. I can't tell how old people are. No, I think some of them are Gen Z, which is great. Thank God. Make the separation. Millennials over here know what's up. But truly, I'm like, how do we exist? How are we existing in the same time-space continuum? Because I could not feel more opposite to you. And this is not a political distinction. This is like, I have read a newspaper in the last seven days. And, you know, because I am going to go with you and say that they are Gen Z. And I'm going to say I'm a generation older. So I'm wiser. I feel like I can say this. Um, I just am like, where are these kids' parents? Like, who are the people that obviously paid for these flights and or like allowed them to go and did not reach out to them and say, hey, even if you can afford this on your own, like you should, I don't want you to go come home or blah, blah, blah. Like, I have many questions when I see that content, but I don't want to end on that note. So um, (laughs) thank you for sharing. So thank you for sharing that advice. I am going to steal shamelessly, as we like to say at iDry. Um, although again, I'm not speaking for I try, but it's a good phrase. I'm going to steal shamelessly from some other podcasts that I listen to and mm-hmm. ask you two questions just to wrap things up. So one is, is there, what would you like to plug? I know you have 800 million things going on, so that may, you may have <laughs> a second or two to think about it, but what is, what do you want to plug? And the second one is where do you want to be found? If people want to hear more about you and your story. Amazing. Okay. So right now you can find me at www.lilystairs.com. And that is a Lily with two L's stairs, like going up and down.com. And then, and that's, and that's the website guys, stairs, like going up and (laughs) down.com. You gotta write that whole thing out. Paid a lot of money Uh, at (laughs) godaddy.com for that domain. Uh, so you can learn about, you can learn more about my story there. I mean, if people have made it to the end of this podcast, but you can you can see my story there. Well, we, we talked for a long time. Um, 
Cat is making a face at me. Um, read read uh, my story there. Read about some of the places I'm featured, and then um, you know, as uh, you'll get updates there as sort of my business is uh, more of a more than a soft launch. Um, I also encourage you if you are listening to this, I, I am on the board of the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association, and we do a lot of work for patients who are living with chronic illness. So if you are looking for community there, I think it's a great place to go. Um, and that's at aarda.com. Although, you know, just head to my website and you'll see it there. So thanks. I'm Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Inexplicably, Lily did not include her Twitter, which is the source oh, yeah. of great tension Sorry. in our friendship lifeline because Lily one time made the infamous comment that she was only <gasps> to follow thought leaders on Twitter. Okay, I, I, not, I had recently weird. joined and did not qualify as a thought leader at the time. Well, you also and didn't, you weren't tweeting. You weren't tweeting. I do really? not follow inactive people. I don't, that I don't disagree with that. This is, you see, you see the tension <laughs> from this. The long and the short of it is Lily has a great <laughs> and I am shocked that she did not mention it. Um, so I don't know. I'm off my game. It's getting late. Would you care to uh, mention your handle as well? Because I think I know. Yes, yes, actually, great point. Because that is where I talk a lot about um, all things healthcare related. Uh, So that's at Lily Stairs again. Lily with two stairs, like going up and down. Check me out. Follow me there. Perfect. Um, and I I may or may not follow you back. Yeah, only if you're a thought leader, guys. So don't get your hopes up. Uh, It only took me a year and a half. So um, I'm trying to think in terms of stuff that you want to plug. I know you have this new thing going on with Aaron. I don't know if you want to plug that. Well, depends on when. So it depends on when this podcast launches. But um, we spent a lot of time talking about COVID. So I guess I'm gonna. We did. This this better. This better get edited quickly and get up. But yes. Um. So COVID. Uh, we COVID, yeah. So quarantini, big launch. Uh, and this will come out. This podcast is going to come out after the launch happens. But uh, my dear friend and colleague Erin and I are launching something called the Quarantini Live Video Chat, and it is for all of our. It's actually for anyone. It's actually, it's geared towards the general public. It's meant to be really fun um, and just give you a break, have a glass of wine and drink with us while we talk about, um, you know, some COVID stuff and also just general, like make fun of the idiots who are down in Florida on spring break, make fun of their outfits, you know, whatever. I don't know. We, we don't know. The, all I, the gonna, urgent pressing concerns. That you have, but you know you gotta give people you gotta give people an escape. So we're we're gonna bring that to you. So stay tuned. Please join us. Uh, hashtag quarantini life. Quarantini. So like martini and quarantine. Just accurate because now so basically every parallel life made is about alcohol. Yeah. In, in some, I will be sending Lily some AA materials because the theme to this entire episode has been alcohol. Um, no, thank Lily. Thank you so much for honoring us with being the inaugural bottle of champagne to my boat before it sets sail, uh, for the pod. I hope that all of my future guests will be as delightful as you are and that they will also agree to start 45 minutes late like you did, because I have 
never been on time in my life and that they will then stay on for way longer than I told them that it was going to take. So thank you. Well, I've set the bar really, really high. You really have. So, you know, the gauntlet has been thrown, the gloves on the bridge. And if you think you're uh, made of strong enough stuff, step up. I will do my best to edit this, you know, because I do have a bit of time on my hands since I can't leave my flipping building. Um, I think this could get edited very quickly. So I hope that this will can't go wait. by. I'm going to throw my hat over the wall, looking at my beautiful calendar with pictures from the only Cinderella that matters, the version with Brandy and freaking Whitney Houston, <gasps> Bernadette Peters, Whoopi my Goldberg, favorite. Victor Garber, Jason Alexander and the Asian guy who plays Prince Charming that unfortunately did not become very famous. He's the only one, but he did a great job in this movie. Um, I'm going to say this is going to be published on Monday. I'm just going to say that now and hope that it will. So hopefully this will come out in a few days and then the four to five people that I anticipate listening to it can give me their feedback and then maybe (laughs) one of them will agree to be on the show and there you go, Lily. I'm going to get you maybe ideally one additional follower. So I think the ROI was there for you. Can't wait. <laughs> Cannot wait. I think it was um, Thank you so much for having me. So proud of you for starting this. And uh, cheers to liberal sense of the word. Ooh, wow. I mean, I got to end it on that. What more could I I couldn't even get the freaking name right. So got to end it on that before I mess it up again. Crash it. Bye. <laughs>